Hello and welcome to Runners in Scoring Position. We are the baseball sports talk show here on UCCS Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Nate Jones, and with me, as always, is my co-host with the most, Charlie. How are you doing today, Charlie? Good. Good to be back. Haven't been here in a couple weeks, but yeah. it's good to talk some baseball. Now, it's so. been almost three weeks for you Almost now. three weeks. Yeah. Uh, how was your spring break? We'll start off with that. Spring break was good. Good to be back home. Uh, went to opening day for the Twins, so do you mind if I talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it was actually a pretty nice day. It was about mid-50s, and the Twins were playing the Cleveland Indians, so it was the first big series of the year, I would say. kind of sets the tone in the AL Central. Jose Barrios was pitching for the Twins. I mean, he has been our ace for the past couple of years, a young phenom, and he's only 24, which wow. I was surprised about. Yeah. And then Corey Kluber, who is Cy Young candidate, seems to be every year in the American League and an all-star yep. <laughs> for the Indians. Yeah. And it was actually a pretty good game. Both teams had a no-hitter up until the sixth inning. Huh. And then Byron Buxton has been on a tear so far and hit a double off the left field wall, and that started the momentum for the Twins. They ended up winning 2-0 in nine innings. And let's talk about the hitting of Williams Ostadio, known as La Tortuga for a lot of the Minnesota fans out there, the Turtle. And, um, you know, he's just, he's been on fire. Six of seven in the past four or five games. He's hit pretty consistently. A lot of people don't know him as a Philadelphia Phillies prospect, and then he was released and kind of on his last leg. Yeah, There's a good story about him in The Athletic, how he would um, pull up his YouTube highlights of him hitting a home run in the Venezuelan Baseball League, and he would show that to teams. And the Twins saw it, and they think, and they thought, okay, you know, we can yeah. sign this guy. And they signed him, and he's turned out to be kind of a package for the Twins. And, you know, hopefully the Twins kind of keep this hot start. Because I believe they're three and one or four and one right now, and yeah. if they continue on that for the rest of the year, even up till the All Star break, that's definitely an improvement from last year. Because with the Twins, we see they don't really get off to a, a hot start; they kind of have a slow start, and then it seems to be in the middle or later part of the season they get off to a hot start when it seems to be a little too late. Yeah. So now the Twins are getting hot at the right time, and that's good for the Twins, but. I wouldn't sleep on the Indians. This is without Francisco Lindor, who's going to be sidelined another three weeks with a calf injury. And I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't take the Indians lightly. They're going to be good. So, yeah, there you go. Nate, what did you do over spring break? I just kind of hung out. I didn't really do much. Took a lot of relaxing time. I went up to visit my girlfriend's parents up in boulder and then i hung out with my grandma pretty much the rest of the break uh she recently had a back operation and so i was hanging out with her we were watching some march madness and yeah it was a good time my uncles came down as well and so hung out with them we had a lot of sports conversations about you know who's the greatest of all time lebron james or michael jordan so it was, it was a fun time during spring break but yeah baseball's back i think that's the biggest news out of all of this is that we have games that mean something, and the Red Sox aren't doing too hot right now. But, yeah, we're just excited to have baseball back. So I can, uh, to piggyback off the Indians here, uh, I heard that Terry Francona recently had a contract extension. Two-year extension. Two years. I believe he's going to be signed until 2021. Terry Francona has always been a solid manager. Nate, yeah. you know this better than everybody else. He was a great manager with the oh, Red yeah. Sox. Um, he played a little bit with the Expos, too, back mm-hmm. in the 80s. And, you know, the Indians have been a solid team. I mean, they've 
basically swept the AL Central for the past how many ever years, and they've been in contention with the playoffs a lot. So great manager, and right, this is, I know he's had some health trouble, so I'm glad he's been better. And, you know, the two-year extension, I think the Indians are pretty pleased about that for yep, sure. Yeah, I think so yep. too. All right, so next bit, we're in Around the Horn now. We didn't really quite introduce it, but uh, we're in Around the Horn now. We're just talking about the latest and greatest baseball news. Uh, this one is for the Yankees. The Yankees have quite a long disabled list right now, and I think this just adds to it. Uh, Troy Tulitsky left Wednesday's 2-1 to loss to the Tigers after the bottom of the third inning was diagnosed with a low-grade left calf strain at a local New York hospital. Aaron Boone, who no one likes, said that Tulitsky will almost certainly end up on the injured list after that. I heard somewhere, I think it's like they're close to like 10 players on their disabled list right now. Yeah, including Giancarlo Stanton, which yeah. doesn't help either. I no. mean, a bicep injury. But the Yankees luckily have a lot of outfield depth. They called up Clint Frazier from the AAA team in Scranton. So that's that's good, and they're playing the Orioles right now. The Yankees are actually 2-4. and four. Okay. So the top two teams in the AL East are not doing so hot right now. I mean, you have the Red Sox are kind of struggling right now and then you yep. have the Orioles four and two okay they won 41 games last year so I don't know what's going on <laughs> they're already almost there exactly the they're almost there total. so they're doing good but yeah. Yankees they just had a lot of injuries and again we'll talk about this in a little bit but Nate as you know a fan of a team who's not doing great right now yeah. when do you start to hit the panic button when do you start to think okay something's going on here so you know I think there's different levels of it so right now I'm alarmed because I'm looking at a lot of these different things. And this happened to happen during spring training. Just some shaky starts from the Red Sox starters. And so I start to think, okay, this could be a problem. And then all those go away as soon as opening day happens. Then, you know, you just see the shaky starts. Obviously, baseball is a really long season. It has one of the longest seasons in all of sports. So there's a lot of time to get better, get worse, all that and more. And so... As a fan of a team who's not doing well, I think the next level is like May when the same problems keep happening. Right now, the biggest problem for Red Sox is their starters keep giving up home runs. If that keeps happening in May, then I'm a little more alarmed. But I don't hit the complete panic button until usually the All-Star break uh, around the All-Star game where it's like, okay, we're last in the division, 20 games back. This season's probably over. Let's get rid of everybody. So that's my level, and I think some Red Sox fans might be worried that they're going to be terrible. I don't think that's the case. Really, the only player who's not on this team who was last year was Craig Kimbrell, and they're not really missing him right now because their bullpen's actually doing better than they were last year. So once they just fix a couple of those problems, I think they'll be fine, but we'll see yep. as the season goes. And, you know, the Mariners played really well against the Red Sox. They could, you know, never win a game for the rest of the season. We n- don't know what happens. So it's a way too early, seven games in, to completely give up on the Red Sox and say, oh, they're done for. So, and I think Yankee fans are probably in the same boat as well. I agree. I, With the Twins, I don't really, because you, you come into the season kind of with low expectations, or at least I do. You know, you kind of think, all right, you know, the pitching staff is hot. But you're in a competitive division, and Nate, you probably have the same mindset. Every year is going to be competitive because you have the top two teams in baseball. Yep. With the Twins, it's it's wondering, with their young group, 
how far they'll actually go and how far they'll stay hot because not all teams can stay hot forever, right? I mean, you have to have a cool-down period when you're kind of brought back down to earth. The Twins, for some reason, have just been playing great. And maybe it's because the other teams they've played have just gotten injured or there just has been something wrong. But the Twins, I think, are doing good. And I think I'll kind of sound the alarm on the panic Panic button, you know, if it's around the All-Star break and they're below 500 in, like, third or fourth place, because they should be in the top two in this division. Realistically, I mean, it should be Indians, Twins, maybe White Sox for third spot, and then between the Royals and the Tigers at the bottom, just because they're developing and trying to get better. But, you know, we'll see. The Twins are just such an interesting team because every year is different. I mean, it changes literally every year. Yeah. Two years ago, we were in the wild card. Last year, eliminated from contention. Now this year, we're off to one of the best records in the AL. Yeah. So you never really know. I mean, the consistency isn't there. I sound the panic, panic alarm, panic button. I don't know. It could be a mix. <laughs> um, I'd just say, you know, in May. Okay. I'd say May, maybe June, because then, you know, you have to start getting up because I think the all-star break is almost a little too late for sure. Yeah, and I, I see that as well, but there's so much time in baseball. Like, even the all-star break can sometimes be too early, especially if they're, like, in that third-place spot where they can really just make one move and all of a sudden they're good to go. And I think that's what the Red Sox are probably going to do, I'd say, in the next two or three months. I don't think this, you know, if the Red Sox are to make the playoffs – we won't see some of these players. And I'm looking mostly at Eduardo Nunez. I don't think he's going to last the rest of the season with the Red Sox. I think there's probably other guys in the bullpen. There might be some starters who might not be starters come a couple weeks. So I think there's a lot of changes coming. And I think every team. Spring training is helpful, but I don't know if it's the most helpful. Because no one's trying as hard as they possibly can. You're playing against guys that probably won't see a game this season. So this is where Alex Cork can really look at the roster he has and say, all right, is this the best roster I can put out there? And Now, question for you. Yeah. If Jackie Bradley Jr. does not have a seat, because he only batted 237. I mean, his career total is only 237 lifetime. Yeah. Would you think about trading Jackie Bradley Jr. or even releasing Jackie Bradley Jr. or putting him in AAA. Because right now, I think the only thing that's keeping Jackie Bradley Jr. in the majors is his defense. Yeah, and I think that's probably what the Red Sox are thinking too. I think if they can get something of value for him. Because what would probably happen if they... I don't think they'd release him just because he's so good defensively that he's still adding something to this team. I think what Jackie Bradley Jr. should be worried about is if he, like, if his defense starts faltering in any way... They'll just they'll either bench him or release him, put JD in right field, Mookie in center, and you have a very solid outfield still. So I think he should be worried about that. And then if they can get another hitter to fill that designated hitter role or another right fielder, I think they're fine moving Mookie to center because he's just as good defensively as Jackie Bradley can be. And then Ben Intendi, he's kind of safe there in left field for the time being. But they could even put Brock Holt in right field or something like that. So I think he he's definitely worried about getting his back going, but he's just so good defensively that he'll probably keep him around until his bat really starts hurting the Red Sox. And Or his defense gets worse. Yeah. 
What would you, if you were a GM of the Red Sox, let's yeah. say, you know, you were given an offer for Jackie Bradley Jr., what would you want in return? I would definitely want a hitter because that's what Jackie Bradley Jr. is not. Prospects or veteran? I'd probably do prospects at this point. I think the Red Sox have the tools right now to comfortably get rid of Jackie Bradley Jr. They don't need, like, they don't need a swap of a major league talent right away. And I think they would look for a guy to kind of fill that role eventually. And you look at Dustin Pedroia could be coming back in a couple of weeks. Brock Holt, where is he going to be at that point? He's just, you know, he can go anywhere. And so I think Jackie Bradley Jr. might be a little more worried than people think he would be. And the Red Sox have not signed him to an extension. So he's just kind of sitting there getting paid year to year right now. And I don't know if he 100% loves the Red Sox. I don't know if he's 100% bought in to be a Red Sox for life. So I think that'll be interesting to see. But I think this only happens if the Red Sox continue to struggle. If all of a sudden they're first in the AL East in two weeks, this is not a conversation. No. They'll keep him because because of that defensive value. Like, what props to him for finding his niche and keeping a major league roster spot because of that. Because when he first came up to the major leagues, he was bumping up and down because he couldn't hit. Now he's staying just because of defensive prowess and his speed and other attributes that he can consistently give. But the Red Sox really need a hitter. He's definitely not that, and so it's going to hurt his yeah, I, chances. I agree with you on that, and I think it's kind of odd, you know, going from year to year on one-year contracts. And I think when teams do that with year-to-year on your contracts, that means they don't fully trust the player. Because if you were to fully trust the player, you would assign him to an extension. I mean, that's what they did with Mookie Betts, or going to do. I mean, they offered him a massive contract extension about Jackie Bradley Jr. It's, you know, a one-year deal in 2018, $6.1 million. One-year deal in 2019, $8.5 million. So he's ARB eligible next year. Yep. And he only batted... Well, to go with the stats department on this, right. they've been kind of rusty. Yeah. Their, their <laughs> it's been time a long, off long here. couple weeks. But Jackie Bradley Jr. only batted 234 last year. Yeah. Only 13 home runs, 59 RBIs. So that's not great production compared to 2016 when he was an all-star. 267, 26 homers, and 87 RBIs. Yeah. He also probably needs a better agent, too, because there's a way you could get this man his money on a different Absolutely. team. Absolutely. Or, you know, his ALCS MVP... He's a gold glover. He has all the attributes of a guy who could be getting paid a lot more. So maybe he does want to be at the Red Sox. He likes yes. the culture there. Yep. But he just needs to produce more offensively. And we'll talk about this after the break. But if prospects are getting six-year extensions before they've even touched, you know, Major League Dirt, Jackie Bradley Jr. can get extensions easy $100 million. Easy. Yeah. I mean, there are prospects, like I just said, who haven't spent a day in the majors. And they're getting $40, $50 million extensions. And we saw that with the Phillies and Scott Kingery getting a six-year, $90 million extension. Yeah. He didn't even play in the majors, <laughs> and now he's up in the majors. But a lot of these extensions, to me, don't make any sense. But in a, in a stranger way, they make a lot of sense for the teams because yeah. it's such a good deal. You lock down your top prospect for a $7 million a year contract for six or seven years. I mean, that's so smart. Why wouldn't you do that? Because then you retain this good talent and you lock them up instead of letting them walk and, you know, seeing them go to their prime to some other team for 
hundreds of millions of dollars more or the player asking you for hundreds of million do- millions of dollars, excuse me, and you can't afford that. Yeah. So it makes so much sense to me. But Yeah, and it makes sense to like find a deal that you know you're going to be the winner of. Like the Red Sox just signed Xander Bogarts to an extension for pretty cheap. I think $152 million, uh, for six years. That's He could get a lot more on the open market for sure. And it's, it's also a credit to Cora, all of the Red Sox organization for that championship culture. Because if guys are staying for less than they're worth, looking at Jackie Bradley Jr. and Bogarts here, they w- believe that they can win multiple championships with this team and they'll continue to do that. So I think that's fascinating as well that, you know, they're willing to take that risk too because I think they know realistically that there's money, more money out there for them. So to, not to interrupt you, but it's a yeah. seven-year, $132 seven year. million dollar wow. deal for Bogarts. Opt out after the third year. How? So See, good deal for Bogarts. Yeah. Good deal for Bogarts. Yeah. So congrats to him. That's He's been with the Red Sox his whole career so far, part of the 2013 championship as well as last year. So, And it, they got a great shortstop for now as well there too. So, yeah. I would just keep your eye on Jackie Bradley Jr. because this is not not sustainable. I mean, it, no. it cannot be sustainable if you know, you're someone who is – Supposed to be one of the greatest, I would say, in the past couple of years, one of the greatest defensive outfielders. But you need to back it up with your bat, and it not and vice versa, right? You can't be a great hitter and not have any defense. Yeah, and eventually Benintendi's he's going to get his check. Mookie Betts is definitely going to get his check. Jackie Bradley Jr. and I've thought this for several years now. Every year I'm like, is he leaving this year? Because eventually they're not going to have money to pay him, <laughs> and he's not producing enough for him to get paid. So yeah. I I would say Ben Attendee and Betts will get extensions before Bradley. Oh, easy. A thousand percent. Easy. Yeah. Because we've seen with them, even if Ben Attendee and Betts don't have his greatest defense, they're producing offensively a lot better than, you know, Bradley Jr. would. Just for a comparison, Ben Attendee, Hit 290 last year, 16 home runs, 87 RBIs. 271 in 2017, 20 home runs, 90 RBIs. 295 in 2016, two home runs, 14 RBIs. That's a little smaller of a sample size as that was his debut year. But still, I mean, his offensive production is a lot better, and even his defensive war is a lot better than Bradley Jr.'s and his war. So it And Ben Attendee's still on his rookie deal. He's not even making a million dollars this year. So... Prime for a payday coming up. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, yeah, it's just the writing's on the wall kind of for Jackie Bradley Jr. and the Red Sox. And so maybe they just get rid of him before they have to, you know, have the difficult conversation because he has been through a lot with the team. And he's, you know, he was the ALCS MVP. He won them the American League Championship Series. He was the biggest part of that. But then they're looking at the future and what value is he giving the team? Especially if you're looking at that outfield right now, J.D. Martinez isn't the best defensive outfield in the world, but he's doable, and you can put Mookie Betts anywhere in that outfield, and he'll excel, and really you're not losing much in center field with Mookie, especially with his arm as well. Uh, so we'll go to the next bit of news uh, after that tangent there. Um, so Howie Kendrick was officially activated from the injured list prior to Thursday's game. Not only from a left hamstring strain during spring training, but the torn Achilles 
that required surgery last May. The Mets look pretty good so far. What do you think their ceiling is for this season? The Mets. Well, the Mets are pretty good. I mean, I'm gonna, I'll want to. i talk about the Mets, but I also want to talk about the Nationals. Yeah. Howie Kendrick plays for the Nationals, right? So this was kind of a funny story. Jake Knoll, who was up playing shortstop for Howie Kendrick, yep. uh, his first Major League Baseball game, gets his first Major League Baseball RBI, walk-off walk, gets optioned after the game. Yeah. So, and it's kind of brutal, but then you think, okay, that's business. I mean, Howie yeah. Kendrick's been a decade-plus veteran here in baseball, and if he wants a spot, he's going to get a spot. Yeah. But the Nat, I think the Mets team to watch out for. I mean, they got Jacob DeGrom, and we'll talk about him after this. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm He's unbelievable. And, you know, last year... It was hard being a Mets pitcher because that offense wouldn't produce. Yep. But now you have bats this year. You have Wilson Ramos. You have Cano. You have a lot of good young bats who are up. Peter Alonzo is back. Yep. Jeff McNeil. I mean, talk about the addition of Peter Alonzo. A guy who most people thought would get a September call up last year. Yeah. No September call. Okay. Arguably the best minor league player the Mets had in their system last yeah. year. Cubs up tear spring training. And there's still debate that he would make the roster. I'd say if it were any other player, made the roster. So he made the roster, hits a 450-foot bomb to center. And I think, okay, Alonzo's here to stay. Yeah. Talk about a guy who needs an extension, lock him up right yeah. away. Uh, Mets are. I think the Mets are going to be good, and I think the NL East is kind of going to be a wacky division. You know, you have the Nats who have a lot of young pitching and Max Scherzer, and we'll talk about the Max Scherzer and Bryce Harper thing, but yeah. you know, you got Bryce Harper with the Phillies now, Patrick Corbin with the Nats, and then you kind of have the Marlins who are the bottom feeders, right? They're probably not going to do much this year, but yeah. a lot of young talent. They're in the rebuild process right now, but Nate, to be honest with you, it seems like the Marlins have been in the rebuild process ever since they won the world series in 2000. What was early 2000? Yeah. 2001. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it's just... It might, might have been 2003. Yeah, it's, it's early 2000s. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of demoralizing for the you know, Miami baseball community because I think ever since Miguel Cabrera got traded from the Marlins to the Tigers, that was huge. And then obviously losing Yelich and Ozuna and then the death of Jose Fernandez. What else can go wrong for the Miami franchise? I mean, you can't think of anything else that would go wrong. Besides yeah. something catastrophic having to another young star with the Marlins, you know, some horrible injury would be bad, but we'll see. I Mets are going to be good. I wouldn't be surprised if they contend for the division. I think the Phillies will run away with it, though, to be honest yeah. with you. Harper looks really good. Yeah, it does. But Mets, I'd say, I would say they'll get second. Yeah. Ahead of the Nationals, for sure. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about DeGrom? Yeah. So, obviously, as we mentioned, Jacob DeGrom, one of the best pitchers we have ever seen, and Nate is wearing a Mets shirt right now. Um, obviously, this is great radio because you can see the <laughs> Tim Tebow shirt, which story for another time, but that's okay. Uh, DeGrom fired seven scoreless innings of three-hit ball and struck out a career-high 14 batters, matched Hall of Famer Bob Gibson's major league record of 26 straight quality starts, and surpassed Eddie Chikati, nineteen sixteen to nineteen seventeen in the process. I don't know what else to say. 
Jacob DeGrom, great pitcher. MVP candidate this year, absolutely. MVP candidate next year, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Nate, we kind of talked about this with the Red Sox. Yeah. We can go over it again. I'll just kind of touch on it a little bit. Yep. But their pitching hasn't been doing great. No. And I wouldn't be, you know, too worried right now. I would say, you know, maybe a little bit of nerves, a little bit of a bump in the road so far. But I don't know. I, I think the Red Sox, obviously, they can contend. I mean, we saw it with the World Series title. Yep. So I think they just need to get past this rough patch. And like I mentioned before, every team has their rough patch. Every team oh, has their yeah. ups and downs. Red Sox might just have their downs early in the year. Early in the year, excuse me. And maybe, you know, May to September, they're they just hot. Lose a game. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which if they never lose a game, <laughs> that would be a different story. But <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I'm and then we touched on Alexander Bogart's getting an yeah. extension. So and we'll talk about that after the break. We're gonna take a break here. But all these extensions. I, there have been at least 20 extensions in the past three weeks or month, it seems like. Yeah. So Nate and I will talk about why would you sign an extension now? Anyway, Runners in Scoring Position with Charlie and Nate. We'll be right back. Hello, welcome back to Runners in Scoring Position. I am your host, Nate Jones. With me, as always, is the co-host with the most, Charlie. And we're talking baseball, baby. We're watching baseball. We're we playing baseball right now. We are. We're doing it all right here in the studio here at UCCS. Uh, thank you so much for joining us right now. Uh, we just talked a lot about news. We covered it a lot last break. Uh, we talked about all the latest and greatest baseball news, and we talked a lot about the Red Sox and different teams, extensions, coaching extensions. So we're going to talk a little bit more about extensions. Why are players getting extended now? You're seeing it all over the place. The Mike Trout one caught me by surprise. The Xander Bogarts one caught me by surprise. So, Charlie, in your expert opinion, why do you think teams are signing these extensions now, not letting players test the market, not even letting them play in the major leagues yet, but extending them to pretty good contracts? I think it's just locking them down. I think that that's the main main reason. I mean, a team sees talent, and, you know, when you're with your first team, that team obviously knows more about you than a lot of other teams will. They yeah. know your tendencies, and... They know what you can or can't bring to the table. So yeah. it makes sense why they're locking these guys down to extensions. And a lot of them, Nate, have been very team-friendly extensions, which is kind of surprising considering all of these other players you would think would want to just hold. Yeah. Or maybe they're a little concerned about their play and say, okay, I want to lock down, get that guaranteed money, just in case something happens where the extension or something you know, doesn't work out or I have an injury that way you still get the money. And we've seen that with guys like Jason Hayward and Dexter Fowler who locked down these extensions and we have no idea what they're doing now and they haven't even been contributing. Yeah. So that way the extension kind of works out for the player. But we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but if a player has a great year, a fantastic MVP season and they're only getting paid 700,000 because of their extension, that's a risk you take. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the bad side of playing extremely well during extension time because you may not live up to your standards or you might live up to that $15 million a year salary. Um, Nate, what do you think the benefits are of a player signing an extension this early, kind of besides what I mentioned? Yeah, I, I definitely think a lot of it's money related. You know what you're getting and you know that the team wants... I, I think feeling appreciated is also kind of a big part of this as well. Players want to know that this team wants them there and signing them to a, a big, not big year, but maybe three or four, six years. They 
feel the team feels confident in them, feels confident they'll make the major leagues, and they'll be able to contribute effectively once they get there. And I think that's one of the biggest, you know, pros for these players when they're signing these contracts. I think one of the biggest cons is you're leaving a lot of money on the table, potentially. You could suck and then you still get money, so that's fine. Keep getting those checks. But if you exceed your, these teams' expectations, it can be really beneficial to the team, but not to you. You can look directly at Mookie Betts and Benintendi for that for the that reason specifically. For a big part of their couple seasons here, they have contributed a lot, been MVP candidates, especially Mookie Betts, but they were getting paid five hundred thousand a year. They were making a lot more for the Red Sox than they were getting from the Red Sox. And so that's something that some of these players who are signing these deals right now, they'll have to live with. And it'll be very hard to get out of that. I bet you there's a lot of writing in that contract that's not willing to, you know, budge on any of these reasons. So I definitely think, what are some other cons you think for the players? I don't think there's a lot of cons for teams necessarily. Well, I think cons for teams signing an extension to a guy this early and prospects and players who have not touched the field yet is that you're afraid they won't pan out. Yeah. And that's a huge risk you have to take, you know, with Eloy Jimenez. He's been compared to the modern-day Babe Ruth. I mean, he... I remember during a home run derby, it might be him or Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but there was a light, you know, a huge baseball field light, probably about 500 feet out. He hit it, and it knocked one of the lights out, just square. It was insane. Uh, That's... I mean, that's a huge risk, but then some, some of these other prospects who you're locking up, you have no idea, you know... If they're going to be, you know, the first round pick, a number one overall pick, they could be the next Mark Appel, right? Yep. Mark Appel was one of the most hailed prospects coming out of Stanford. He was going to be the next dominant right. He would have been the next, you know, great pitcher. But now he's retired at age 26 because he, it just didn't work out. Yeah. And so that's the thing. You don't know. You can't look into the future. I mean, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah, right? Yeah. So... You never know with Jimenez. I mean, I think Jimenez projectables is that he is going to have a great career because he has all the intangibles. He has the side, he, size. He has the power. He has the defense, the fielding, where he will be a cornerstone outfielder for the White Sox for years to come. Yep. But then you have guys like Brandon Lowe, right, so, which not a lot of people have heard of, but obviously the Rays think, okay, he's a solid prospect. We need to lock him up. And even Brandon Lowe got a five-year deal worth about five or 200 excuse me, $25 million. And he hasn't even played half a year or a year in Major League Baseball yet. So a lot of these guys you don't know. And I think that's a huge risk for players and a huge risk for teams because you don't know if you can play up to that standard. And sometimes when you're a young kid and you already have a multi-million dollar extension that a lot of these veterans haven't had yet, you'd feel a little bit of pressure to perform because you're always thinking, wow, I need to live up to this $15 million a year contract or else I feel like my career is going to be kind of a failure and not going to live up to it. And I know not everybody feels that way, but I certainly would feel the pressure if I was a young prospect, hadn't played a game in the majors yet, and I already have a $50 million contract. Yeah. Now, I don't know how a lot of minor league contracts work like for normal players, like not these. Is it just year to year? Do they sign them to multiple year, low-numbered 
contracts. Well, at the minor leaguers, it looks like they sign them for the same amount of contract extensions that they would a major league player. So okay. it's the same idea with Eloy Jimenez. You know, his first first year is this year. They signed him to a six year, forty three million dollar extension. So that's about seven million dollars a year, and that you know makes makes sense if you're signing a minor league player. Obviously, you aren't going to commit that much money to everybody. Yeah. And minor league players. But I would assume on the minor league side, you would get a longer extension for a lot less money okay. because you're committing to the amount of time that you want the player to play and you don't want to commit to as much money. Yeah. If that makes sense. I think yeah. you commit oh, the same amount of time and more money if it's a proven talent, a proven entity within Major League Baseball. And even some guys, you know, who have had you know, some short stints in Major League Baseball are getting big contracts. David Bo, yeah. he was well-known for a grand slam last year and a walk-off that he had for the Cubs. He got a five-year deal about 20 to $25 million. You know, two years ago, he was in AAA Des Moines, Iowa, yeah. playing for the Cubs, right? So that certainly doesn't, you know, that would be an example of someone who is signed for a long or, you know, like a medium deal with a medium amount of money. But a lot of these prospects are a long-term deal shorter amounts of money yeah but then you know you have guys like mike trout who are getting these 10-year insane deals where it's just unbelievable but then you think guys like mike trout should get that so there's no surprise there um chris sale signed a five-year 145 million dollar extension goldschmidt five-year 130 million dollar extension i think when i was actually at the airport there were a matter of extensions that happened within hours I mean, Blake Snell with a four-year extension. Yep. <laughs> Sale, five. You know, Goldschmidt, five. And then Justin Verlander signed a short-term extension to two years, $66 million. Jacob deGrom was a big one, a four-year extension. So there's been a lot of extensions going on. Herman Marquez, local to us, pitcher for the Rockies, signed a four-year extension. Yeah. Ronald Acuna Jr., two days ago, seven-year yeah. extension. Uh, so, that one caught me by surprise, A lot too. of big money for a lot of these guys. Now... Looking at the player side of this again, and the benefits of signing these multiple year contracts at this point in the season rather than at the end of the season, do you think any of this recent free agency long waiting, not getting the money they necessarily wanted, do you think all that plays into it? Where they watch Machado and Harper go through, like especially from Mike Trout's perspective, he was like, just give me all your money. And we don't have to worry about this ever again. I don't want to have to go through this after watching Machado Harper. And you're looking at very good players like Keiko and Kimbrell not being not playing right now because teams didn't want to sign them for the money that they wanted. Do you think that's also something the players are looking at? Well, I'll ask you this. Do you think that's part of the reason why Mookie Betts didn't sign his extension right now? Possibly, yeah. Because in his mind, he probably thinks that he's a better player than Manny Machado, maybe comparable with Bryce Harper, and he thinks, okay, you know, I can make more than $25 million a year with an eight-year deal, a $200 million extension. If guys like Harper are getting three to $400 million and only batting 240 and I'm an MVP, I'm a World Series champ, which is, by the way, better than what Harper has, I can make a lot more money than that. So I think that kind of plays into it. To answer your original question, I don't know necessarily. I think Harper and Machado, I think if you were to ask me that question a couple years ago, I think that would be kind of an outlier. What happened? 
But now if you ask me that question again, I don't think it's an outlier because yeah. this happened last year with oh, yeah. you know, Jake Arrieta not signing until the middle of March. And then you have guys like Harper and Machado who aren't signing, you know, until two, two to three weeks before opening day. Yeah. And you still see free top quality free agents, Dallas Keiko, Kimbrell, both not signed. And we're almost 10 games into the season. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Obviously, this needs to be fixed because MLBPA and, you know, Major League Baseball. The commissioner's office in New York, they need to sit down and think, what do we need to make free agent, what do we need to do, excuse me, to make free agency more attractive? Yeah. Because if this is going to lose fans, and this will frustrate fans and players, and especially for a potential lockout in 2021, which is a big deal. Yeah, a huge deal. And Nate, to kind of answer your question, I think a lot of players will think because of the lockout in 2021, they'll want to sign that extension now and get that guaranteed money now. Yeah. Because imagine if they're up for an extension in 2021 and there's a lockout. Guess what? They don't get paid. Guys who sign now and get extensions now get paid. Yep. That's why I think a lot of guys will think, okay, well, do I want to go through the rigmarole free agency? Do I yeah. want to go through everything? You know, do I want to get wine and dine and go to all these cities and do all this and try <laughs> to get expensive contract deals? Yeah. Or do I want to stick with what I know, get a great contract extension, sign, and be done with it and not worry about it. Because I guess it kind of has to do with your comfort zone, right? I mean, if you're comfortable in Los Angeles, stay in Los Angeles, but then there's another part of you who wants to think, okay, what else is out what, what else is out there for me? Yeah. What else do I want to sign? What else do I want to do? But I think, and we talked about this, and I'm going to just talk about it again. I think Mike Trout easily gotten $500 million. Oh, yeah. And he must know something or see something about Los Angeles that we don't. Because Los Angeles, yeah. for me, just doesn't seem like a very attractive option. No. I mean, they're not doing great. I think the signing of Owatani kind of helped. Yep. But then you have prospects, you know, Jamai Jones and Joe Adele, who could be the future corner outfielders for the the Angels. I mean, you have, you'll have you have Trout, you'll have Jones, and then you'll have Joe Adele out there, which I think will kind of help. But I think Trout's going to want more. And I think... He is going to work with, you know, Jerry DePoto out there and think, okay, you know, this is what I need to do. I signed it. This is what we need to do. I signed extension with you. I hope that we're able to kind of work through this because like Harper, he doesn't have any opt-outs, which is bold, very bold playing in a team like that, who is similar to the Padres and Machado, a third ranked team in their division every year. So, yeah. Oh, you had everything on the head there. So let's kind of, transition in a bit and we can talk a little bit we've talked a lot about MLB and their marketing and how it's ineffective at times and how they're losing fans they're not gaining young fans as well and so we're going to combine like two things we've kind of been talking about earlier as well so we talked a lot about about how the early season matters when it comes to hopes of winning the world series you know should fans press the panic button and a lot of fans they seem to have no hope in their team looking at the Marlins and other teams like that that are just already given up on doing anything special this season. And we've seen record low attendance at these opening week games. You you know, we're watching the Red Sox Athletics game right here. They're in Oakland. And that's a pretty big stadium, but it's practically empty. There's almost, there's sections that are just closed off. And there's tarps over the seats because they know they're not going to even get close to selling those. It is a Thursday. 
but it's also around spring break time. I bet you there's some local schools that have their spring break this week. And you look at other places, especially for opening day, some teams didn't even get into the 20,000s on their opening mm. day. And so what do you think the MLB, like, how does this affect them? Are they really worried about these attendance numbers? And then why did they have these surefire teams that they know will fill the stands open? Like, why did the Red Sox not have a home game on opening day? Different things like that. So what do you think about that, Charlie? It's an issue because the Athletics and the Rays both were in playoff contention last year and no one shows up to their games. Yeah. Absolutely no one. I mean, the Athletics made the wild card, for goodness sakes. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just the Coliseum is just a dump. Oh, I think it's terrible. It's because they mix the Athletics and the Raiders together. And there's, there's been stories that I've heard about the sewage leaking and it would like come up onto the concourse. And that's just a huge issue. I mean, they have a 90,000 seat capacity. There are sections that aren't even being used. They put like the whole upper bowl with a tarp. Yep. Because no one shows up. No one it's... comes. But the thing is, the athletics are looking to get an, a new new deal. Ballpark, yeah. And I think it's going to help that the Raiders are in talks to move to Las Vegas. Yeah. Or they are moving to Las Vegas. So I think the athletics will kind of have some independence in creating a new baseball stadium and not have to worry about the specifications that the Raiders would need because now it's not going to be a cavernous giant stadium where, you know, you have 11,000 fans showing up in a 90,000 seat capacity. Yeah. And the athletics aren't a bad ball team. No, they're not. It's not like we're watching the Marlins, you know, play. I mean, this is a good team. They got a lot of young pieces. And frankly, Nate, I think they're an underrated team in the American Oh, League. yeah, 100%. Now, on the other hand, the Marlins. That's just a different issue. I think it's because that's just a bad ball club. Yeah. There's nothing else. I mean, that it's just a bad team. And Derek Jeter, frankly, it's most of it is Derek Jeter's fault. Oh, I mean, yeah. he just gutted the entire team, right? I mean, there's nothing there's nothing left. No. Nope. Nothing. I mean, you're having guys start for that Marlins team and any other team it would be a double or triple A team. Frankly, I mean, it would be a double or triple A uh, starter. So I, I don't know. I think what they can fix is I think they sit down with the owners of teams who are struggling. Yeah. And they make, and I, I think a lot of it kind of comes back around to ticket prices. I think a lot of it is ticket prices because, you know, if you're filling up 11,000 seats and you have 40,000, you know, stadium capacity, but you're selling lower bowl tickets for $70 or $80, People aren't going to want to come see that. Yeah. And I think that's a thing. And it's, and it's easy for me to say lower ticket prices. That's something that needs to be done. There's something they maybe do like flexible ticket prices where, you know, if they think, <clears throat> okay, we're only going to sell like a quarter of the tickets, we lower it and we get more people to come in. And I think Miami, I mean, obviously it's a beautiful location. You're playing in Miami, Florida. It's nice. You got the palm trees. You got the water from the Atlantic Ocean, Gulf of Mexico. It's great. But then on another hand, Miami's just so busy because there's so much else to do. Yeah. But then we've seen in the past, I mean, Miami baseball was relevant when Jose Fernandez was there and Christian Yelich was there. So obviously there's passionate fans, and especially Little Havana down in Miami, a lot of Cuban-Americans down there who love baseball. I think there's something needs to be done about maybe the Marlins. Even though they're not going to contend, they get a big-name piece because they have the money. And frankly, they have the prospects too. I mean, even though they're 
major league roster is horrible, they have prospects to pay for it. Yeah. So, Nate, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you agree <laughs> with me, or what? Do you, what do you think on that? But. I agree with you too, and it's even more embarrassing for the Athletics because I, I've been to that stadium. It is one of the worst ballparks I've ever been to. I almost watched a no hitter there, but it still was, yeah. oh, pretty terrible. And one of the things is like the tickets were pretty cheap there too. We walked up and we got four tickets for I think it was like forty dollars, and we we sat in pretty good seats too. But it wasn't an enjoyable experience. It didn't feel like a ballpark. Like it, it felt like you were in this big empty area. Yep. There happened to be a baseball game playing down below. So and like the fans weren't really, you know, excited for anything. It just was not a great atmosphere. And I think that's what Major League Baseball needs to look at. They need to look at these markets that they have these teams in. I'm not saying move the Marlins to a different city, but I'm saying that a baseball team like the Marlins could put up better numbers in a different city, in a city that wants baseball, in a city that loves it. And I think to make it kind of local here, we, the Sky Sox, were a AAA affiliate. Now the Rocky Mountain Vibes are a rookie team. I think the attendance numbers are going to be pretty similar. And that's because this town loves baseball and they they crave baseball. And they feel like going to the ballpark is fun. The Vibes just released all of their... Um, different fun nights and stuff for the whole season. They have some great ones lined up. There's a toasty bobblehead night on July 21st that I think is going to be a pretty popular night. I just don't think that people in Miami want to be in Miami and watch baseball. I also think that ballpark's ugly. So I, I don't know if I want to stay with that for three hours. So there, there's a lot of things that Major League Baseball needs to look at. But also, if I'm flipping through the channels and I'm a young kid and... I watch that baseball game and I see an empty stadium. That does not make me want to go to that stadium, especially if I'm a fan of football where stadiums are full all the time and there's 90, 100,000 people. Yep. There's a lot going on. The best part about going seeing sports live is the atmosphere and those around you that help make it. If there's no one near you for 40 seats, it's not going to be as fun. You're not going to feel energized. There's no one heckling anyone. It just feels like you're watching baseball by yourself. And you're like, wow, I could have saved $140 just sitting at home watching this. So I don't know if the if this will ever be fixed. This could be just Major League Baseball's problem until they start moving teams to different markets. You know, bring the Expos back. I think for sure that would sell tickets. And, you know, maybe add a team to Las Vegas. Do something like that, and you could definitely see some benefit. But I don't think there's anything that could fix Miami's problem right now. So listen to this here: the Rock, so the Rockies and Marlins played on opening day, yep. had an attendance of twenty five thousand four hundred and twenty three. Wow! Which was a capacity of sixty nine percent, which was pretty good for the Marlins. Okay. okay? Yeah. Next day, played the Rockies again, six thousand five hundred and three fans, eighteen percent capacity. And it stayed between, and it has stayed, excuse me, between 18 and 21% capacity for all their home games. Wow. And it's, it's insane. And they have, you know, the Marlins have only won two out of their seven games. So it's not like it's great. But then the Red Sox have done the same thing, and they're probably selling out games every night. Oh, yeah. Which they're... I think that's an unfair comparison because the Red Sox, you know, won the World Series last year, and the Marlins won nothing, but 
But yep. it's still, it's interesting and, you know, the it's frustrating. I, I can't imagine being Jeffrey Loria and Derek Jeter and, you know, watching these games and seeing hundreds, I mean, hundreds of people show up to these games when you have a 40,000 seat capacity. I mean, Marlins Park's a beautiful park. I mean, there are some areas where they have a retractable roof, but they hardly ever use it. Yeah. And you think you want to get that breeze from the sea in and kind of get the water in, but yeah, that's not the, excuse me. And the Marlins aren't the only team that's struggling with attendance. You have the Toronto Blue Jays drawing the lowest attendance since 2010. They drew wow. 10,450 on Monday for paid attendance. Hasn't been good. So Nate, I don't, I don't know what else you would need to do. I think you talk with the owners about this and see what else they need and kind of help them out because they'll be able to kind of give input on what they really need and what to go from there. What to yeah. Go from there. I think more teams, I'm looking at Rockies tickets right now, just kind of getting an idea of like what their prices are. And I, I chose a pretty good team that they'll be playing here to give you, because you get a lot of people who are just, you know, they lived here, but they're a fan of a different team. I You can find a lot of tickets for like $22. There's a ton of $22 tickets. And this is against the Red Sox. They're playing them in August which I will most definitely be there for. But that is, you know, I don't think a lot of teams, the Red Sox tickets are absolutely insane price-wise, but they still sell out. Like that's... Yeah, it's the Boston fan base. And that's what teams you look at. Are we good enough that we can, you know, have this our tickets this high and people will still come? So, yeah, it's a very interesting problem for all these teams. And, yeah, it, it, it'll be kind of hard to solve it, you know? And I think different sports teams have these problems, but I don't think, I don't think I've ever heard of so many teams struggling this early in the season. You usually get this early season, like hope vibe. And obviously the fans are feeling it or they're like, this is not worth my hard earned money. So I'm not going anymore. And that's, you know, it'd be interesting to see their season ticket sales, especially looking at the Rays, Marlins. Probably not good. You know, Blue Jays, they've probably lost a lot, too. Oh, yeah. You know, I wonder how many 30, 40-year-long season ticket holders that are no longer season ticket holders because they just don't have that hope anymore. Well, and probably a lot of people disagree with the way that Derek Jeter handled that team. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of fans with the previous ownership group who thought, oh, you know what? It's okay. They're not doing great, but at least we still have competent players who are doing well and hitting well. But now you have nothing. I mean, you have. This is why the Marlins are a bottom dweller team every year. Yep, makes absolutely no sense. But I, Nate, I just I think it's an issue, and I think they need to address it because this is why they're losing fans. Yeah. This is why they're losing people. As Mookie Betts made a nice catch and right off a of Jerickson profile there, but <laughs> it's an issue that needs to be needs to be stopped. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Nate, why why do you think people aren't coming to baseball games? What do you think the issue is? I don't think they're exciting enough. Or they feel like they're not going to be exciting. I think as a kid, I loved baseball games. Yep. I loved the whole like chance of catching a foul ball to me was the most exciting part. Like Even in Major League Baseball games, it's pretty dang hard because you have to be right place, right time. But I still loved every second of it. I dropped one once and it still haunts me to this day. But And... That was exciting to me. But I don't know if today's kids are necessarily excited by that. Because what else is there for them? Especially if you're not like a baseball fan. 
I feel like I could take a non-basketball fan to an NBA game, and they would still have a tremendous time. Yeah. And I think that's because of the atmosphere. You have the mascot, different stuff like that. You know, Major League Baseball has that as well. But I think kids would get bored, you know? Sometimes they'll scan the crowd, and there will be a kid asleep <laughs> over three seats. Yeah. So it's definitely tough, and there's nothing enticing. The... Food is getting more expensive at ballparks. The Dodger dog is nine dollars, and it's like it's not hot very dog. big. Yep, it's it's not like a foot long hot dog or anything. Mm-hmm. It is a normal hot dog that doesn't even fill the bun, and you're paying nine bucks for that. Why? You know, you can probably get a better meal for nine dollars anywhere else in Los Angeles. Well, maybe not Los Angeles, but I I think that's what Major League Baseball is struggling with: high ticket prices high concession prices, and there's really no appeal other than that. And, you know, my uncle and I were talking, we were talking a lot about this attendance issue. And we just talked about how some of these ballparks just, even if you're just sitting, there's not good views, especially like these indoor parks. You don't feel like you're outside, you know, there's no, one of the beautiful things about baseball is how outside you feel when you're watching it. And, it's just not fun when you're just in this dome with nothing much else to look at. And have you been to Coors Field before? I have. It's a beautiful ballpark. Yeah. And it's lot to look at, lot to do. Lot to do, and it's just the fun. They even I don't I haven't been there in a while, but they used to have a playground out in center field. They could play at. Yep. Even Peco Park has a little sand area out in center field. So all that is you know, fun. Petco Park itself is like, the ballpark itself is basically in a little city. There's a bunch of parks out there. Like, there's a lot to do. And it's it's an event. You feel like you're going there for a reason. Absolutely. Other ballparks, I just don't think have that. Like, Fenway, it's a very small ballpark, but the history, you're just walking through history the whole time you're there. And you really feel it. Because everything is a lot older and Wrigley Field, I think, is the exact same way, too. But some of these newer ballparks, I just don't see, you know, what's the reason for me to go to that? Of You know, it's a yeah. lot more convenient to watch it here on my phone than it is to pay lots of money to go watch a team that might not be very good. And then, yeah. yeah. Has to be enticing. It has to yeah. be some incentives for you to go. And I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I think a lot of it, too, is money. Because I, I think a lot of people don't want to spend, you know, $120 for food, tickets, parking. That's just a lot of money. And there's a lot more family-friendly alternatives that you can do, which I think would be a lot better. But we'll see. I I don't know. I, I think Major League Baseball, and we've touched on this before, and, you know, they have an attendance problem. Obviously, yeah. they have an attendance there are reasons why there are other less popular sports drawing more fans who are younger just because, you know, it's more interesting for these fans to go and watch a game, do all that. But yeah. we'll see. So we'll take a break here and we'll write back. And we're going to talk about some 101 question, 101 baseball questions to debate. Should be an interesting topic. This is Runners in Scoring Position with Nate and Charlie. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to Runners in Scoring Position. I am Nate. With me, as always, is Charlie. We're talking baseball, as always, and we're watching baseball. We stopped playing baseball because, you know, we're getting a little winded, and we want to make sure our voices are saved. 
for radio here. You know, and so we're watching Red Sox athletics right now. The Red Sox are not playing too hot right now. Uh, body language isn't great as they show the bullpen right now. But hopefully they'll turn around soon. There's a lot of season left for all these teams. We're only, this is the eighth game for the Red Sox. So not much, too much to worry about right now. So we're going to talk about, what was it, 101, 101 baseball questions, questions okay. to debate. Sweet. Now, some of these are kind of easy and really subjective. But okay. I'm going to do this one. This one's good question. Nate, Mariano Rivera is generally considered the best relief pitcher of all time. Yep. Who is second? Jonathan Papelbon. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave. That, that got a good reaction. I, I wasn't yeah, that it sure. Yeah. That's a really good question. I hmm, I don't know. K-Ron? I, it's, it's really subjective, and I don't think we've ever seen, at least in my lifetime, another relief pitcher with that longevity that Mariano R- Rivera had. We've seen a lot of good seasons from closers. I don't know. Can you think of any? Dennis Eckersley has been good. I mean, solid reliever. Lee Smith. Ben, probably borderline second best reliever of all time. I would say modern day. I mean, this is kind of a tough question because I guess you have to really look at modern day because there's not a lot of relievers, you know, who were in the relief role 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. It was sort of a role that just came about recently. Um, I guess looking at it, I mean, there's been a lot of solid, solid relievers. Jeez. Uh, Let's see. I mean, Craig Kimbrell has been good. Not second of all time, but let's see. Rivera, I think Dennis Eckersley is up there for sure, as I mentioned before. Trevor Hoffman, yeah. Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage. I think those definitely top relievers right there. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Okay, Nate, which is harder to do? Win 20 games as a pitcher or hit 50 home runs? Oh, I definitely think winning 20 games as a pitcher. Yeah. I think uh, as someone who's never hit a home run in his life, same. It's talking a lot of, you know, but I definitely think it's harder just because you are facing all these different teams. It's really hard to, you know, have quality starts over and over. Like we talked earlier about Jacob deGrom and the record he just sent for quality starts in a row. That's very difficult to do. Very difficult. That number wasn't very high. And so for him to beat that is pretty impressive. And so I think... As a pitcher, you have to have a quality start over and over and over again. And you have to get that run support every game. Especially if you, yeah, exactly. Especially if you don't have a competent offense. That's impossible to do. Yeah. You might have a great ERA, but your win-loss record might be horrible. Look at DeGrom last year. He pitched phenomenally, was the Cy Young Award winner. He did not have a lot of wins last year because he never had the run support to get him those wins. While home runs are much more individualistic statistic, you control what you control. If you can hit that out of the park every single time, that's all up to you. It's not necessarily up to the pitcher. And you could face a bad pitcher every time. So whereas pitching, you know, 
it's very difficult to win 20 games. So we don't see it happen a lot. Jacob DeGrom went 10 and 9 last year with an ERA of 1.7. Wow. Yep. That's all that's that's all it really can wow. say. You know, wow. And I wonder how many of those nine losses were one run or less. Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Yeah. Probably a lot. And how many are no decisions as well, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean the starts are probably probably 30 plus starts easy and just yeah. didn't work. All right. All right. Nate, what's the best baseball town in America? Hmm. I have to say Boston, Massachusetts. I know it's like very Title Town, USA, right? Homer of me to say, but I don't know. There's a different vibe. Have you ever been to Fenway before? I've never been to Fenway. It's it's definitely a different vibe to, and I think Wrigley has a similar thing. And I, so I'd put Chicago definitely in the conversation as well. They just eat, sleep, breathe baseball. Baseball is everything about them. Uh, my grandfather Richard Flaherty, I call him Baseball Honey because from a young age. I realized he loved baseball, and him and my rake honey, they call each other honey a lot. And so I just started calling baseball honey. And his cane right now is a baseball bat. So he has lived and breathed baseball. My room growing up was the Green Monster of Fenway Park. So people in Boston, they just, baseball consumes them. Even if you're not a baseball fan, you know how the Red Sox are doing. You know their stats. You know where they Mm -hmm. sit in the standings. And you know how much Yankees suck. That's not, there's not a lot of other baseball towns that are quite like that. I think New York is definitely one. I think, you know, I don't think the Mets have that same passion as the Yankees do. But I definitely think like these big market baseball teams. And I think the Dodgers could definitely be in it. But I think none, no other town beats Boston. What do you think, Charlie? Boston's up there, but I think you got to go Chicago. I think Chicago's a great baseball town. I mean, you have yeah. the Cubs, one of the most historic baseball, you know, baseball teams in America. I have been to Wrigley Field before, and it's beautiful okay. with all the, you know, the moss and just the, I mean, the ivy. I mean, that's yeah. just part of it. The White Sox are historic too, but not in the same level as yeah. Cubs Red Sox. I mean, those are you know, one of the, you know, they talk about the original eight in hockey, right, with the Canadians and all that. I mean, if there were an original eight for baseball, Cubs and Red Sox are definitely up Oh, there. yeah. No question about it. But for sure. We'll definitely have to go to Fenway sometime. It's, we will. It's unreal. Paid for by UCCS Radio. Yeah. <laughs> definitely do it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, let me see. All right. Let's see. Okay. In the draft... Yep. Should you go with the most talented player no matter what his age is or play it safe and take a college guy? Now, this is an interesting debate because there's been a lot of talk with teams taking prep players. And prep players are guys who come out right out of high school. Or do you go with the safe bet he's a little bit older and you go with the four-year, three-year college player who's done well in college, might skip a level or two because of his experience. Yeah. But then he's older. He might not get to the majors till 25, 26. Or do you take the risk with a 18-year-old and wait? And if he's 22, 23, go into the majors. Looks like there's an injury with uh, Sandy Leone here. Uh, no, it's Swihart, I believe. Swihart? Yeah. That was a psych. I'm not sure you're paying attention. But Nate, what do you think about that? I think I would definitely go with the prep player. And for me, I always believe in development. And it's a lot easier to develop a younger guy who has not been in, in any bigger program than high school. High school coaches, unless you're at this huge high school, 
you're not going to have the best coaches in the world always. You'll you, there's some great gems, but they're not going to develop the player to where they're undevelopable after that. Sometimes with college, they're going to send their ways 25, 26. They're going to play the way they want to play because they play that way for now 20 something years. Whereas a player right out of high school, they're so moldable. And it's that raw talent that you can really use in that minor league system of developing them into the best major league baseball player possible. Obviously, there's a lot of success with college players in major league baseball as well. But I think you have more success if you're able to develop the player for your organization right out of high school. I agree. I There's just a lot there because you're taking a risk no matter who you draft. I mean, we saw college players, right? You know, guys like Mark Appel who don't make it at all. And then there's high school players who just don't pan out because they're in high school and you don't think it's going to work. So that's a huge issue. But I mean, that's a great question to think about too. I, you know, I think that would be kind of a 50-50 split. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it looks like Swihart was uh, hit in a very uncomfortable area. And he has taken some time to recover from that. So yep, there that, you go. That's what it looks like right now. It looks like Brock Holt just asked if they needed him to, <laughs> to catch for Swihart. So there you go. You know, team player right there. That's right, team player. All right. Have the Cubs been held back and worn out all these years by playing so many day games at home? Huh. That's an interesting... Interesting question. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like a lot of day games... I feel like day games are almost better than night games because then you get a full 10 hours of sleep and you don't really have to worry about commuting to places super late. Yeah. Which I think is a big deal because sometimes when you have night games, right, you don't get into the visiting team's, you know, hotel until like 2 or 3 a.m. And that can really, you know, go out late and that can be really late. And then especially if you wake up at 9 or 10 the next day and get to the stadium, that's only 7 or 8 hours of sleep at the most. Yeah. So. No, I agree. Yep. 100%. There's a lot of room in foul territory. A lot of room. See, Oakland Coliseum is big, and that kid just snagged it. You yeah. know, let me talk about the time I snagged a foul ball. Okay. And this is about me now. Okay. <laughs> so last game of the Sky Sox, Oklahoma City Dodgers. And keep in mind, folks, Sky Sox had to win one game out of a four-game <laughs> series, okay? They had to win one game. Yep, just one. Spoiler, they didn't, but that's a different story. So sitting along the first baseline, and hit the ball, and it was Tim Dillard actually. And he, and if you if you follow Tim Dillard on Instagram, great follow. He's a yeah. veteran pitcher. He seems been around the block a hundred times. Yep. He's actually AAA for the Round Rock Express, which is AAA team for the Rangers now as a yep. pitcher. Um, kind of one of those journeyman guys who you know probably won't ever make the bigs, but it's just kind of fun to watch. Yep. So anyway, he's hitting, and he hit a foul ball, and it's coming towards me, and I think, okay, you know. Probably a little short. Looking at it. Oh, it's getting a little closer. Yeah. It's getting really close. So it comes to me, and it hits off of the seat next to me. Caught it. Beautiful. Round of applause. Usher comes down, asks me if I need anything. I'm like, I'm good. I got it. Then I got him to sign it after the game, and that was really cool. Put Dilly Dilly on there. <laughs> dilly Dilly. That's awesome. Yep. I used to catch a lot of foul balls, a single affiliate. Back home in California, no longer exists. Heiser Mavericks. R.I.P. Yeah, I 
actually caught my dad and I countered once because I kept all the balls. Uh, twenty five. Ooh. <laughs> so uh, quite a lot. Not a huge. I think it sat maybe a thousand people. Yeah. So not a lot. And there was a lot of games. There's one game. There's ten people in the stands. I was one of those ten, and I caught quite a few. And yeah, uh, there's also a time at an Angels game. I had my glove with me. I also had a broken arm at this time, and we we're up one of the upper sections, and we we're in the front row. And so you know you have those electronic signs right below you. So I catch the foul ball in my glove, but the force that the foul ball was coming at hits my glove. And it slams my hand against uh, the electronic signage, and the ball drops right to the next level. I think it made a family really happy. And the same thing happened with the t-shirt <laughs> as well. Oh t-shirt cannon right to me in my glove, slams against the sign again. Same game. Brutal. I was very disappointed. It was also my birthday that day, too. So, you know, we can't win them all. For brutal. But you're not as good as Zach Hample, foul ball guy, is what you're saying, yeah, right? No. Zach Hample, who has caught more than... 10,000 baseballs, Jeez. 53 different major league stadiums. And I was watching one of his videos the other day. Nate, he has a 25-year consecutive game streak where every game he's gone to for the past 25 years, he's gotten a ball. Wow. Yep. How do you... Impressive. Impressive. That is so hard. What I do with all my balls that I get from stadiums or just foul balls, I write a number underneath them, like the major league baseballs. Okay. I think I have like 9 or 10. But this guy... And, you know, he lives in New York City, so obviously he doesn't have a lot of room. Yeah. It's like, you know, the apartments are probably oh, pretty yeah. small. Just drawers of baseballs. They're just drawers of commemorative baseballs, batting practice, home runs, everything. Everything. Wow. That's just insane. Insane. I mean, he caught A-Rod's 3,000th hit. Wow. He caught a batting practice home run from Ichiro. He's caught Steven Matz's first home run ball. So he's not, and Bryce Harper ball he caught on Tuesday, which was big, wow. so. Really he's been cool. around the block, and he knows what's going on for sure. Uh, easy. 101 questions. Suddenly gone, but we will put that up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nate, why don't you commentate a little bit about what's going on in the baseball? Yeah, so right now Mookie Betts just got walked. A very similar call earlier. So Mookie Betts was very upset earlier because he definitely thought it was a ball and it was a strike. Very similar call here. A little more inside than the last one, but... Uh, he's on base right now. The Red Sox are down 7-3. to three. Uh, Throw is just thrown over to first base to make sure Mookie Betts knows that, you know, they don't want him running right now. Uh, right now it looks like Ben Attendee's at the plate. And Graduated from the University of Arkansas. Yeah, he did. He's a college guy. Go Razorbacks. <laughs> he's done great in major leagues, if those of you who don't know how well he's done in major league baseball right now. But, yeah, he's at bat right now. Lefty. Let's see what the call is. Right. All right. Uh, one ball, Why no strikes. Play. Let's see. I think Liam Hendricks used to be a former twin. Okay. Awesome. Just going to go with an outside fastball here. All right. Check the runner, you know. You know. Looks like blowing away. Actually. All right. Oh. Oh, oh maybe oh. a little bit. No, it's like middle ball. in, middle in. Okay. All right, Nate. Um, <laughs> let's see. Maybe we should quit our day job. And we should. Become... That would be so much fun. My parents would be... <laughs> Not happy though. No, yeah, same here. <laughs> like Charlie, what are you doing in the radio booth for twenty four hours a day? Uh, You're just commenting games that there's already commentators. That's for what me? I do. No, not. Okay, can any full time salaried player do worse than Adam Dunn's one fifty nine batting average in two thousand eleven? Yeah, I think if we the Mets called 
Tim Tebow up for a full season. Hey, don't. Hey, you're wearing a shirt. I know. Okay, come I, on. I love him, come but on. I definitely think he he will sell more tickets than he will, you know, hit home runs. Hit. I think he'll have a couple games here and there, and he'll hit a home run or two. But I definitely don't. Where oh. Where is your faith? Six Six weeks ago, that said he was going to be a Gold Glover and perennial outfielder. So oh. he'd be an All Star. There we go. Nice throw. Well, okay, that's a good talk there. about. Ramon Lorano in center field. Yeah. Unbelievable. His arm. I don't know what it is with the athletics and getting outfielders who just have cannons, but this happened to Cespedes when he threw out that Angels oh, runner yeah. from third base. And he and Cespedes, and this is great radio, by the way, and he just jogging, and he just casually just throws the ball probably 350 feet, no bounce. Wow. And Lorano here, no one bounce. He right threw to out. Chapman. He threw out Bogarts yep. the other night. A gun. Unbelievable. Yeah. So and Mookie good. is not slow. Like, that is oh, not no. a hard Mookie's one. Mookie's probably one of the top 10 fastest players in the league. Yeah. Easy. And it looked like they could have caught the ball there. And definitely for him to leave first base probably as late as he did, pretty impressive. Yeah. But Benintendi got to second on the throw. So we are going to go to break, and we're going to do a little whoa. And then we will wrap it up, and we'll be back for next week. Awesome. Right. Thank you for listening to Runners and Square Musician on UCCS Radio. Welcome back to Runners and Square Musician. I am Nate Jones. With me, as always, is my co-host, Charlie. And we just finished watching Red Sox versus A's. That's why there's a little bit of a longer break there. Uh, they did not do too hot. They lost 7-3 to the Oakland Athletics. J.D. Martinez grounded out to end the game. Mookie Betts made a dangerous decision to try to get third when he probably shouldn't have. So... That's the update on the Not game good. there. Not great start to the season. Uh, they head to Arizona to play against the Diamondbacks. They're not home until April 9th against the Blue Jays. Hopefully, they if they just sweep that first home series, they play against the Blue Jays and the Orioles. Very doable, even though the Orioles are the AL East leaders at this point. That's what you hope to see. We'll see if it can happen then. All right, and we'll start our longest tradition here. The woes. Yes. Nate, why don't you take the first woe? All right. The Red Sox win their first game after a four-game losing streak. Whoa. Also, they lost, so it's not really yeah, no. I was like, I was just going to add another one. The Red Sox lose after breaking a four-game losing streak. Whoa. Twins are relevant. Sort of. Whoa. It's a pretty big woe there. All right. That's it for today. A lot of woes. <laughs> Mine is blown every time. So, yeah, Nate, anything... You want to touch on before we wrap up today's no, show? No, I think this is kind of it for today's show. It's fun to have baseball back. It's always fun when the sport you talk about a lot is actually playing meaningful games. That's right. I think we have a really exciting season ahead of us. Yelich has been playing really well. Red Sox, Yankees. I love that they always play pretty early in the season because I, I want another fight this early in the season. Last year we got one in the first series in New York. You know, we don't have Joe Kelly, but, you know, let, let's play some odds here. Who do you think of the Red Sox is most likely to throw a pitch at? Who do you think is going to start the fight if there's going to be a fight? And who do you think is going to be on the mound when it happens? Oh, I got to look. Let me let me see here. Red Sox roster, because I am not. I think I have money on Matt Barnes. <laughs> I would have said Joe Kelly, but he's with the Dodgers I now. So... I would have said Joe Kelly, too, just for. Hey. Mm. Ryan Brazier. Definitely, he kind of looks like a guy you would just yeah. throw in right. I think Aaron Judge will be at the plate. Um, 
Maybe. All right. Know. What What would you say if there was a position player on the mound? Who would you say would throw it? I would say Brock Holt. Steve Pierce. I feel like he could okay. get he'd get kind of angry and he'd throw it and be like, "Whoa, Steve, it's kind of high." And then yeah, fight, which would be bad. I could see Nunez charging the mound. Yep. Christian Vas- Vas- Vasquez. I yeah, I can see that. Swihart. I feel like Swihart. Just his name. Like, I don't know. All right, and then on the opposite end, who wouldn't? I feel like Mookie probably. I don't. Mookie would like. He would run in, but I don't think he's starting anything. He'd We're missing the obvious things. choice of Chris Sale. He would definitely throw a pitch. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like Mitch Borland. Yeah. He's the type of guy who would throw a pitch at you, and then he would go shake your hand and ask if you wanted to go for some barbecue after the game. <laughs> yeah. Definitely do that. Ben Attendee would be like, oh, sorry. Didn't mean to hit you. Pierce, I feel like, would throw the bat at you. Yeah. He'd be he'd be like Jose Offerman. Jose Offerman used to play for the Royals, and he actually got banned from, like, Dominican League baseball because he threw a bat at the pitcher, and then he started, like, going crazy against the umpire, and they're That's like, beautiful. yeah, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. Get That's always fascinating to me about baseball is, like, you know, if you have nothing to lose, just take the bat with you. Like you have yeah, a weapon. Or if you're <laughs> or if you're a sure Hall of Famer and you literally have nothing else, like your last season of your contract, you're gonna be an all star Hall of Famer or whatever, just just go for it. Yeah, I always thought like, Not that we're promoting violence. Yeah. We're anti we're an anti violence. Yeah. Didn't Coco Crisp like take the bat with him like most of the way there once? Yeah. Niger Morgan did that with the yeah. Brewers. Coco uh, Crisp still playing in Major League Baseball too. Yeah, he's on the minor league with the uh, athletics still. Wow. Yeah. He's like Manny Ramirez. I know. Minor league. He's like 46. Was he something like that? He's oh, up there. Let's Manny? See. Manny was mid-40s. Yeah. What's Coco Crisp right now? Because uh, Coco Crisp He's not was... 46. He's probably early 40s. I don't know. Let's see. He's 46. Oh, he's only 39. What the heck? Yeah. He Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Way to assume that he's 46, Nate. Jeez, he's probably listening right now. I know. Never he... going to come on because you said he was 46. Oh, he looks really old. Wow. Yeah. Right. What about if that was your relative and you said that? That would be, That's offensive. Hey, the you truth shouldn't hurts say that. Sometimes. You shouldn't say that. Yeah, he's that's 5'10". That's taller than I thought, too. Wow. All right. Okay. Well, that does it for the show this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hey, if you just walked by and you really liked what we were talking about there. Or if you're yeah. Coco Crisp. Yeah, if you're Coco oh, Crisp. sorry. Uh, we really have the rest sorry. of the podcast. Uh, it will be on iTunes, Spotify, all that fun stuff after the show. So make sure you go check it out there. And we'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Uh, make sure you listen to it. We'll have more baseball to talk about. Hopefully the Red Sox don't suck as much because that will be a lot better. Yeah. And hopefully the Twins are still doing as well because, you know, we're homers. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully Tim Tebow is called up by that point. All right. <laughs> oh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Sorry, Coco.